Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Justine D'Souza, who creates content for a not-for-profit organization focused on international education and global mobility. She also counsels youth, young adults, and caregivers for a crisis helpline. And now, here's our first letter. So, now we get to uh, move on to very difficult sister-in-laws, um, which are their own things. Uh, the subject here is traumatic surrogacy. Dear Prudence, my husband and I have two children. Both of them were easy pregnancies. My sister-in-law has been dealing with infertility for a decade. She brought up the idea of surrogacy to us. It would be her egg and a sperm donation. Our hearts went out to her and I agreed. It didn't go well. I miscarried at six months and it was traumatic. We buried the baby. I had nightmares of my dying with the baby. I'm terrified of trying again and risking leaving my children without a mother. My husband supports my decision, and he told his sister that we were done with a surrogacy. She became irate. She told us that I, quote, owed her more pregnancies. All that I had given her was a grave and false hope. She couldn't believe how utterly selfish I was being. I was crying at this point, and I apologized, but said that I couldn't risk leaving my children. She looked at me with such hate. How could I dare say that to her? How could I be such a bitch? My husband told his sister that was enough and that she needed to leave the house and get herself under control. Our relatives are divided. Many think we are, quote, overreacting to the miscarriage and that I do owe her another shot at a child. Others, quote, support us but say that we should apologize first for crushing her dreams. My husband is ready to just cut contact off with everyone and keep me and the kids away from them since they don't value my life. He called his sister a baby-obsessed lunatic to his own mother. I am sick in body, heart, and soul. What do we do here? Well, I feel really bad for the letter writer who has relatives that think that people overreact to miscarriages. Yeah, that was my first thought too, was just like the the stuff with the sister-in-law is awful as it is, but the, the division between the relatives isn't some of them are on our side and some of them aren't. The division is some of us think we're totally in the wrong and uh, others think we're mostly in the wrong. Yeah. Like n- none of these, re- this division is like people who think we're doing awful things and people who think we're doing awful things, but could maybe be redeemed if we apologized enough. Yeah. I mean, I also think that this is a decision between the letter writer and her husband. Um, I mean, really the letter writer, actually. Um, it's another question of bodily autonomy. So yeah. um Really, nobody has a leg to stand on here except for the letter writer. Yeah. And I'm so sorry that so many people in your circle aren't standing with you. I think that's part of the thing that can be hard is if you do something that you know is right, but then everyone that you're normally close with is all of a sudden saying you're not right. It can feel uh, crazy making. You can feel like, am I losing my mind? Like, do I actually know what's real? Um, And I just want to say, as somebody who is reading your description of events, your relatives are all deeply, gravely wrong. No one is owed more pregnancies. Everyone has the right to make their own decisions about their own reproductive future, um, but nobody is owed anything. That she would dismiss your 
intensely traumatic six month. Mi- I mean, that's a serious miscarriage as, as an act of selfishness, as if you just handed her a great, like, that's just horrifying. I'm horrified by this woman. I'm so glad that she's not a mother. I hope she never has a child. This is not a well woman. Um, this is a cruel and a vindictive and a frankly evil and entitled woman. And I don't think she should be anywhere near a child. Um, that you were weeping and apologizing for having miscarried at six months and not feeling ready to put yourself through that again. Uh, and her response was to spit poison at you. Is just, you are so well out of that. Anyone who tells you that you need to apologize to her is is doing a grave disservice to you and to the, just the idea of, again, bodily autonomy. So I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm right there with your husband. I feel a little bad, Justine, because I feel like, Oftentimes on the show, I'm like, there's nothing to be done here. You just have to stop talking to them forever. But unfortunately, I think that's often the case. Like, there's not like a nice compromise to be made here. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that in this case, it's a pretty clear case of people being grossly abusive and um, disrespectful. So I think that this is just a question of protection of the letter writer's own well-being and the well-being of their family. Uh, It sounds like this was a tough experience for all of them. And, you know, maybe it's good that they seek refuge in each other instead of spending more time or spending more communication with people who are going to be directly harmful. Yeah, I understand why you feel sick. And it's because you did something unbelievably generous, um, unbelievably draining and taxing. And then you were punished for it and told that you were selfish for it uh, and that it was your fault. Like that's where that heart sickness is coming from. And then that the other people who are supposed to love and support you are telling you you should apologize for not putting yourself through it again. Like that's where the sickness comes from is you've just been through unbelievable trauma. And then everyone in your family told you that that trauma was either your fault or something that you needed to get over so you could do it again. That's where that sickness comes from. Um, And you won't. You won't be able to fix it by trying to meet those people in the middle, but you have every right to cut them out of your life, invest in the people who can be there for you right now, admit that you need a lot when it comes to rest, support, and care, and lean on the people who can provide you with that. Yeah, and um, I don't think that this was already mentioned, but this is actually a case where I definitely advocate for therapy because it sounds like the letter writer is going through a lot and has been for some time. And like a grief counselor. Yeah. Specifically, somebody who's going to like talk about this as a, a real physical and emotional trauma, which is what it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm so sorry to the letter writer for such a loss. Yeah. So we're moving back into slightly more topical territory, although hopefully it's a little bit less fraught than, than what we just waded through, because that was pretty intense. Um, and this one, I, I think I have at least a little bit more hope that we'll be able to, to do some good. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's your turn to write, uh, or sorry, to read the next letter, if you don't mind. Subject, exposed doctor in the house. Dear Prudence, my roommate is an emergency room doctor. She has been working really long hours and working tirelessly during this pandemic. I try making space and room for her when she's home because I understand how demanding the job has become for her. My concern is that she is not following self-quarantine guidelines. She comes home from her shift and lists the number of confirmed COVID-19 patients she's seen in the day before lying out on our living room couch to catch up on her TV show. She understands the concerns and hasn't seen her family out of fear that she will infect them. 
I'm concerned not only for myself, I have underlying respiratory issues, but in a few weeks after my layoff, I'll be going back home to spend time with my immunocompromised family. How can I approach her in a respectful manner and ask her to quarantine herself to her room if she's been exposed? I want to respect her work without locking her away, but the way she treats our shared spaces is concerning. This one's really hard. I just feel for the both of them. Yeah, I think it's worth it to ask what precautions the emergency room physician is already taking, because I know that some doctors take off all their clothes that they've used at the door. Um, Some doctors also have more access to PPE and masks. So I think it's worth it to determine what the emergency room physician has already been doing and maybe bring it up that way instead of accusing the roommate of violating procedures. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the letter writer seems really concerned about coming across as disrespectful. And just based on the way that you write this, based on the way that your kind of affect was coming through in this letter, I'm not really worried about that. I think you will bring this up in a way that's pretty kind, pretty respectful, that acknowledges the unbelievable stress that she's been under. So if you're just worried that the mere act of saying, hey, as roommates, can we have a conversation about how we're going to uh, set up a protocol to keep our house safe? Um, that's not an inherently disrespectful question at all. So, you know, you, you'll be able to judge, I think, whether you think that's a conversation you can best have in person or best over text. It might depend on how she tends to respond to text conversations. You might be more willing to take that one-off risk of having it from opposite ends of the living room if you think she'll be more inclined to listen to you then. But but yeah, I think to just stress, like, I want to be able to find ways where you can relax after an unbelievably stressful day while also following the strictest possible guidelines because, you know, as you may or may not remember, I have asthma or, or underlying respiratory issues and in a few weeks, I'm going to be around other immunocompromised people. What, you know, do you have suggestions? Do you have thoughts? It may be that that kind of sparks the medical aspect of her brain. And she'll say like, oh, yes, I do know what I would recommend to a patient in your situation. And it would be this, this, and this. Maybe it means um, moving the TV into her bedroom for a little while. But but to say like, here's my concern. What do you think are the best ways that we can address this? And And hoping that she will respond in a spirit of mutual aid is, is I think, a, a good way to approach it. Yeah, and I think some of the language in this letter already lends itself to that. You know, I acknowledge you're working really long hours and working tirelessly during the pandemic. Yeah, and, and you can also just acknowledge, like, it's really hard. It's really hard on top of all of that to change the routine that makes each day bearable to further isolate yourself when you feel like you're kind of already in robot mode, like to acknowledge that it's a very real difficult thing for her to do. Um, but but I think don't approach it like apologetically. You can be respectful without saying like, gosh, I'm so sorry to have to bring this up. This is a matter of your health and hers. Um, this is a matter of public safety. This is something you both care about and where she needs to make some changes or ask for some accommodations like yeah absolutely do you mind if we move the tv into my room like that might be a really easy way to make that place feel more relaxing for her um but this is totally reasonable totally respectful you're not suggesting she lock herself away it's an unfortunate part of these quarantine protocols that people can't be close to one another if they're at high risk so it's not like you invented this idea you know Right. Yeah. And I think part of the thing that the letter writer might want to consider, which 
we didn't talk about too much. And I don't know the letter writer situation, of course, but um, maybe is it a good idea, depending on where you live and what your situation is, to be going back home to spend time with immunocompromised family? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, too. Hopefully it just turns out to be a conversation and um, no further conflict. Um, All right. We have one last question. I was thinking like, oh, yeah, we end on a slightly more upbeat note. But then I was like, nope, it's just talking about somebody's will over and over again. So it's not that upbeat, but at least it's a a, a will that is not going to hopefully be needed for a while yet. So the subject is mom won't stop talking about her will. Dear Prudence, my father died in the fall. My mother handled taking care of his will and arrangements extremely well. She has also since made sure that her arrangements are well provided for when she dies. I know this makes her feel calm and I appreciate her thoughtfulness and have said as much, but she won't stop talking about it. She tells me repeatedly where things are, explains over and over again what steps she has taken, what to do with what documents, including the fact that she's already written out thorough instructions for the same things that she keeps explaining. She's over 60 and we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's not hard to understand why this is upsetting for one's child to have to listen to. But when I tell her that it's upsetting, she acts bemused and says something like, is it okay? very flippantly. According to her, my younger sister likes hearing about it, although I strongly suspect that's a massaging of the truth. What should I say the next time she brings this up to make her actually understand that this isn't the fun, casual thing to chat about that she's presenting it as? I understand this is a way for her to alleviate her own anxieties. Is there some alternative way for her to do this that I can recommend that doesn't involve directly displacing it on me? She's already talking regularly with a counselor. Justine, I was was just curious. My reading of that kind of attempt to say like mom this is upsetting me to hear um my read of the mom's response of like oh is it upsetting for you i get it like my reading is that she's she's being a little flippant because she's trying to convey like i'm actually not talking about this to you over and over because i find it fun and relaxing like i find it upsetting to have to think about so when you say it's upsetting for you i th- i think that's why her response was what it was i think she, what she was trying to communicate albeit very imperfectly, was, yeah, I know, I'm also upset. It's me we're talking about dying here. Did that strike you as as the right reading there? I didn't think about it the first time I read it, but I do think that that's a possibility. And I know that especially now with the virus, a lot of people are rushing to do wills and it's becoming something that is becoming more and more of a priority. So I know that this seems to have been going on before, But um, I wonder if this is something that's also increasing as a result of the current times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That strikes me as a real possibility. So mostly I just say that because I think it would be helpful to read that particular interaction slightly differently. Like, I don't think she's doing this because it's fun for her. I think she is also trapped in a loop where she thinks this will relieve her anxiety it doesn't show she needs to do it again over and over again. So it's it's not working for her either, but I don't think she's doing it flippantly. I agree that it's unlikely your sister probably loves hearing about it. And I think regardless of what's driving it, you have every right to tell her to stop. You're still allowed to do that. So if she tells you something she's told you five times before, interrupt her kindly, uh, but just say, mom, you've actually already told me this and you've told me that you've written it down. I don't want to have this conversation again. Yeah. And I guess to your point before, if the mother is anxious in general, maybe they can talk more about that and bring the conversation away from the logistics of the will and more about 
how are you feeling today in general? Uh, is there anything else on your mind that you want to talk about? Because it could be a, a front a little bit also. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good thing to try to bear in mind is that you can draw some boundaries and also whenever possible, because it sounds like you you mostly have a good relationship with your mother um, and she's been through a lot. Like it's only been in the last six months that she lost her husband um, and she's had to make arrangements for her own possible, uh, you know, imminent death, hopefully not imminent, but it sounds like she's maybe um, going through a lot. So it also might be an opportunity to say like, mom, you've told me this five times and I know that you've written it down. I'm clear on this. I don't want to talk about those details again. But if you would like to take a minute and talk to me about how you're feeling, I'm available for that. You know, how's it going? How has the act of writing out your will and making all these arrangements felt? How you doing? Um, and and maybe there's room for a conversation there. Yeah, and maybe on just like a practical note, um, besides just you know, changing the subject if they've already been talking about it or the letter writer doesn't feel up to having the conversation, maybe having some kind of plan of something to do. I know now we can't really meet up with people and hang out the way we used to, but maybe they can, you know, do some kind of like an online game or something or have some kind of activity. So they're focused more on spending time with each other than devolving into these discussions that aren't productive anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's a great idea. I think anything that can foster connection and that has a kind of like um, explicit goal, like playing a game together remotely or watching a movie together remotely or something will feel like a good way to stay in touch, but that also kind of comes with an intended script. Yeah. That's going to be helpful. But it's also just, yeah, I, I would say mostly let go of trying to argue with your mother about whether or not she thinks it's relaxing um, you don't have to uh, negotiate this on those grounds. You can just say, we've had this conversation five times already. I don't need to have it a sixth time. Like that's the grounds upon which you can push back. Not like I disagree whether or not you think this is casual um, because one of those is impossible to prove one way or the other, you know, like, well, I don't think it's casual either. Well, I, you know, like you could just go back and forth forever. And the other one is just a simple yeah. statement of fact, which is I know this information you've written it down. You've told me where you've written it down. The fact that you're repeating it again and again says to me that there's something going on underneath that that's emotional. I'm here to talk about that if you want to, but I'm not here to listen to you repeat details over and over. Yeah. And the mother does have a counselor that the letter writer can redirect to. Yeah. And obviously not everyone responds well to like, stop bringing this to me, talk it up with your counselor. But hopefully, you know, if she's receptive to the bigger conversation in general, you can say like, Mom, I don't know if you're talking about this with your counselor, but it might really help. Um, I've noticed this as a pattern. I don't say that to make you feel bad. I love you, but it just, it seems like this is something that's been really hard for you and that comes up a lot. So I hope that you're able to talk about it with your therapist um, if it continues to trouble you. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good way to approach it. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.